everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 44 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Oscar on your Sorry Boss podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. This week we're joined by Carrie, who, as soon as we mentioned Oscar many, many episodes ago, sent us messages that she'd forgotten it exists but loved the film. So welcome to the show, Carrie. Hi, thanks. <laughs> Why? Can you give us some of the background? Why was Oscar such a standout when we mentioned it? It just like kind of hit me like a bomb, like, oh my god, I forgot this movie that I used to watch probably like maybe six times a year, like in the 90s. Mm. Because every Friday night we would go to Blockbuster or whatever it was called at the time. And when we couldn't decide what to watch, oh, we'll watch Oscar again. It makes us laugh. Nice. Okay. So um, that was it. And I think, um, so we had a dog that we got, I can't even remember when we got it, but um, when we were trying to decide what to name it, I think we were thinking of this movie a little bit because we called him Oscar. <laughs> oh, nice. So, Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't remember the first time I saw it, but it's one of those, I, I was flicking around the television on a Saturday afternoon and this was on and it was just so charming. I left it on like, oh, this is this is quite good fun. And then it yeah. just got better as it went on. I had to go and grab my mom like, what's this? It's our sort of film. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a movie to watch when you are sitting around and want something to entertain mm. you. But I was absolutely amazed because I don't think I've met anyone else who's seen it. So when you started saying, oh, oh yeah, I love that film. Like, really? Someone else has heard of this? (laughs) I was sitting around this this morning thinking, so who else besides the three of us has seen this movie now? (laughs) So I hope more people actually go out and watch it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mandy, how come you've never seen it? You can't watch something you don't know exists. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and i had no idea i've never heard of this movie uh before uh you started talking about it and then carrie jumped in um completely foreign to me had no idea and even looking it up i actually tried not to look it up before i went in and so i had no idea what it was about and it was just baffling to me that this exists okay well i'll give us a bit of background for um basically everyone who listens to this who's never seen this film um, Oscar is a 1991 comedy farce by John Landis starring Sylvester Stallone in one of his attempts at a non-action movie the following year he would release Stop or My Mum Will Shoot it is based on a 1967 French film of the same name which itself is based on a play of the same name in France this version of Oscar is was released as L'embouille et dans le sac The Muddle is in the Bag Oscar performed poorly with critics and audiences. It opened as the number one movie of the week on its release. It stayed there for the second week, and then on its third week was displaced by FX2. Eventually, in the US, it made $23 million, but had a budget of $35 million. The film was nominated for three Razzies at the uh, Golden Raspberry Awards, Worst Actress for Sylvester Sloan, Worst Director for John Landis and Worst Actress in the in a Supporting Role for Marissa Tomei. It didn't even win all three of them. It lost to Kevin Costner for Robin Hood, Michael Lehman for Hudson Hawk, and Sean Young for A Kiss Before Dying. Sean Young was also nominated for Worst Actress, as well as the Supporting Actress, because she played twins. <laughs> no, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, we're worried about people not knowing Oscar, but these are all movies I have absolutely no idea of that so i don't know what i'm worried about hudson hawk um i've never seen it but i saw um an interview with richard e grant once who i think is the villain 
and he was talking about how he's done this whole range of films. And, and he once said, there are people who come up to me and say they love Hudson Hawk and it's the most memorable of the films I've done. So there is a film out there for everyone. <laughs> okay. Yeah, out of Yay. those three you just mentioned, the only one I've heard of is, is Robin Hood and I haven't even seen it. So, All right. Well, since nobody out there knows what this movie is about because nobody has seen it. Um, <laughs> after making a deathbed promise to his father, gangster Angelo snaps provolone, tries really, really hard to go straight, even though the universe conspires against him through family hijinks. Is that a Mandy synopsis, an IMDb synopsis? That is a Mandy synopsis. Nice. I have to applaud your getting that in two lines. Because I'm... I had to think about it for a little while, but yeah. I mean, that's that's the essence well of the movie, really. I was trying to explain it to, to someone it's... last night, and I was like, I, I don't know how to do this. And I wish I had had mm. this document in front of me because I had already done it. <laughs> um. Were, were you able to find it to watch anywhere in the States? The Amazon channel for Cinemax has uh, has it on demand. And so I was able to do the seven day free trial so I could stream it that way. Uh-huh, useful. Uh, Carrie, do you own this? Is, is this a favorite on your shelves? Newly, because I had completely forgotten it before, as we've discussed. Mm. But uh, yes, the summer I found it on Amazon and it was ridiculously cheap. Oh. As the UK import. I don't know why it was so inexpensive. It was like, I think I paid with shipping, maybe six euro. So worth it. Yeah. I yeah. got that right quick. <laughs> and, 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 and it's on YouTube. I don't know if you can get it, like, in, at least in Germany, you can get it on YouTube. I don't know if it's available elsewhere. I didn't even think to check there. Like, oh. yeah, I, I only found, I found it by accident there because I was, I think I was trying to find the, um, the old film, the 1967 version. I wanted to see if I could mm. see any of that, but this one popped up. So, for the finest and high quality movie rips, <laughs> go to YouTube. Yes. <laughs> I, I looked for the original as well, but I couldn't find one with subtitles or a dub, and my French is not yeah, that good. I, <laughs> yeah, I found a I found a scene in German that I could at least understand, mm-hmm. um, but other than that, it does actually appear to be available no on YouTube in the United States. Yay, people will watch it. <laughs> Go buy it. Maybe they'll make a sequel. <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs> um, I own this one, but I have it on Region 1 DVD because it it was just one of those things that I saw one day in the States and remembered exactly like you said. Just, oh yeah, this is a great film. I love it. And I've never seen it available anywhere before. So I picked it up in the States, which I now don't think I have any way of watching it, but I do have, I, I ripped all my DVDs a while ago. So I have the MP4 of it as well. <laughs> That's my other words. I would say you have to have a DVD player somewhere that you never let update or like yeah. touch firmware <laughs> anything. I have one somewhere. I have no idea where it is. It's, it'll be in a cupboard or a loft somewhere. So Mandy, I, I gave you a little bit of a heads up on this film. I think after we spoke about Clue, you, you said it would actually be quite good to know um some of the style of a film going into it if it's going to be unexpected um so what were your expectations for it honestly i had forgotten everything we'd ever talked about this movie (laughs) going into it (laughs) um so i I mean i remembered that it was supposed to be a comedy that it was like some sort of parody type thing and then once it got started i remembered that it came up because of the godfather and so then i was kind of getting an idea of what was happening but when it started um 
my thoughts were just, I have no idea what this movie is about. I was just told to watch it, so I'm doing as I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> so no expectations whatsoever. Um, I said up front that it's directed by John Landis. It's got Sylvester Stallone in the main part. What's your experience of them and then this wonderful supporting cast that it has? When I saw the name John Landis, I was thinking, that name is really familiar. I know I've seen it before. We've talked about him on the show before. (laughs) And so it Hmm. took me a little while to figure it out, but he wrote Clue. And that is the only thing I know him from. And that makes total sense when you kind of think about those two movies side by side. Um, Sylvester Stallone is obviously the big name here. And again, Mm -hmm. he's more of a, just of a general awareness for me. Like I've never seen Rocky or Rambo, but I'm just familiar with them as pop culture. Um, I, I have seen stop or my mom will shoot, but I don't remember anything about it. And I think demolition man is probably the thing that I've actually seen that I would recognize that he was in. Although he recently did do okay. a guest spot as himself in the new show, This Is Us. Okay. And it was kind of cool to see him now on TV. Hmm. Um, Marissa Tomei, obviously, I think everybody knows who she is. At least I hope everybody knows who she is. Uh, my cousin Vinny. And I know I've seen her in other stuff. I just I can't remember. Oh, she's um, Aunt May in the new Spider-Man, isn't she? Which mm-hmm. I haven't seen yet, but I've seen the trailer. Mm-hmm. Yes, and age-appropriate, aren't they? <laughs> and then out of all of the supporting cast, there were a few people who looked familiar. Um, some of them I um, f- like was familiar with their faces, but when I looked them up, I had no idea who they were. Um, but one of the bankers was played by Mark Metcalf, who, whose name I did recognize automatically because he did play the master on Buffy. Yes. Although he was unrecognizable. Like, looking at his picture, I would not have known that it was him if I hadn't seen his name with it. Yeah, there's a slight intonation to one of his lines that you go, oh, yeah, I can I can just about hear it. But uh, it's a very yeah. different style. And he doesn't have those prosthetic teeth. <laughs> right. He doesn't have fruit punch mouth and Oscar. <laughs> makes a difference. He... Yeah. Exactly. I was going to say, there's one, there's one moment towards the end when he's being photographed when the police and the press storm in. And he does some movement where he's like kind of shrinking back in the chair. And for some reason, that reminded me of the master. I don't know why. Okay. But I, I just thought, okay, there I see it. It's the way he moved his body yeah. or something. Yeah, I could see him shrinking in front of, shrinking before the slayer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always ask, what's your experience of similar material to this? What's your experience of material that's similar to this? <laughs> I'm not sure that there is anything similar to this. Um, The the closest thing I could think of was that this is like a weird cross between The Godfather and Clue. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably pretty fair. Yeah, that's that's all I got. And um, I mean, it's not entirely accurate. That's just kind of how it feels. But other than that, I think this movie is kind of a one of a kind experience. Yeah. That sounds like a good description. Mm. It, It is... I can feel a bit of the European influence on it in, in the way it's this farce about just bags moving around or mistaken identities, this kind of thing. Uh, it's a very old style of film. You, you can very much feel where its its origins are. So, you've now seen this film that you've never heard of, that you did as you were told and watched. Did you enjoy Oscar? Surprisingly, I did. I was a little bit concerned <laughs> at first. <laughs> I was watching this movie thinking, oh my god, 
I would never choose to watch this movie. This is terrible. Why am I doing this to myself? And then as the more it played, like the more engrossed I got into it and I got super invested in all of the characters and I was like shouting at them. (laughs) Like you can see in my thoughts doc, increasingly all of my thoughts are in all caps (laughs) because I was shouting at them, just open the bag, look in the bag. (laughs) So yeah, I did enjoy it. It was funny um, and I appreciated it. Yeah, I think it's, like I said, when I first watched it, it's utterly charming because there's no one who's unlikable. No one's necessarily good, but you are kind of rooting for everyone in this film. Except for the bankers. Yes. (laughs) And the, and um, what's his face? Uh, The orange guy. It's kind of orange. Vanetti, Vanetti? the gangster was getting his nails. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. But he's so incidental. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, his his moments, and then with Toby on the police as well, it's almost like having, uh, when we said in um, Little Shop of Horrors, it's like having a Greek chorus sort of commentating on everything that's going on on stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is why, because I said, I'll just, um, watching this movie, it feels like you're watching a stage play, like you could be mm. in an audience, and, and I feel like these little... Um, I don't know, like these side shots of like Toomey and the police watching them and commenting on it. And then also the stuff with Vanetti, which I don't know, it's only like, what, three or four times throughout the film. But you could also like almost like picture if you're watching a stage, like suddenly the light cuts out on the main bit and just goes to a corner yeah, where people are sitting there. And then suddenly like the people there are talking and then we're just back in the main action, like back in the house. And it just, uh, it feels like... I, it also probably feels like that because it's all start, shot on this one, like, very obvious soundstage uh, studio, mm. which is also utterly charming. So it doesn't, um, it doesn't detract from the movie at all. Like, you're not supposed to believe this is really New York and everything's the set and it's fine. Yeah, it, it absolutely feels like it is one contiguous set, all the rooms off it. And the, the, probably, the rooms are probably built separately, I think, particularly his office and the atrium. But you can sort of feel how it moves through and the, the going up and down stairs constantly with that, that centerpiece. Yeah, you have a you have a real sense of like the space and it doesn't, it's, it's almost like the house is part of the uh, the play in the same mm. way that the characters are. Or the, um, but yeah, it just, it adds to it, I think. Yeah, it becomes really important all, as it goes through knowing who is in which room as he's trying to set things up and move people around to meet each other. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you have a really good sense of that. Uh, yeah. One one quick side point: the lady doing his nails at the beginning is Arlene Sorkin, who is is she a Sorkin? Uh, she, I, I'm not like, I'm not sure if she's a Sorkin in terms of Aaron Sorkin, but mm-hmm. she is the original Harley Quinn from Batman: The Animated Adventures. <laughs> I just heard the voice. I'm like, wait, I know that voice from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a certain amount of dissonance and did not expect to see it here. And she does such that um, that baby, that kind of, I don't know, I guess it's a, it's a voice that I associate with like this time, like the 1920s, 30s, mm. um, this kind of baby, if I talk like a baby, I'll sound sexy voice. Yes, um, yeah. Which I also just saw in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> so like, I was thinking of that too. Yeah, where when you're trying to sound like a uh, mm. ingenue, I guess, or something. Yeah, like uh, Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors, who does it yes, all the way through, exactly. but has this incredible, yep. strong singing voice. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a general question then, Sylvester Sloan as our 
comedy lead as a, a gangster, not necessarily in the in the Don Corleone uh, style, but head of an extortion and bootlegging racket. Do we buy that? Did it work? Should he have done comedy instead of action all these years? I buy him as the gangster. <laughs> I don't so much okay. buy him as in the comedy role, although I really enjoyed watching it. Um, there, he had moments, I think, that were just extraordinary. And other moments where it just kind of felt wrong. It's kind of hmm. unsettling, I think, throughout the whole movie. But I, at the end of the day, I'm not sure that anybody else could have pulled the role off the way that he did. He really has quite a presence. And, and the whole snaps thing with him clicking at people to get them to do things. You, you know that he's in charge and the boss and he knows what's going on. But it also feels a little small time. The, the 50,000... It doesn't feel like a huge amount to be worrying about for someone who's got this fairly opulent house and running whole systems. Perhaps that's a, a modern take on what in the 1930s was probably a lot of money. Yeah, that's what I was uh, I was wondering <laughs> about. But I haven't done the calculations to find out what a $50,000 in, a, a, I guess, not too long after the stock market crash. Um, oh, what yeah, that that's is true. In today's, I imagine so. that was... A significant amount of money. Yeah, I mean, you get you get the whole um, the whole feeling of the uh, the disintegrating economy in the background, and also like the I don't know coming thirties fascism. Uh, like this is all kind of playing in the background, which I thought was really actually interesting, seeing that again and picking up on it. But um, yeah, because they open like that that first shot after. Um, after the pro- prologue and they open on the the shot of this newspaper which basically says like four million uh, unemployed or something mm. like that and so you're, they're very clearly setting it in this uh in this time and then the fact that he's even uh that bankers are even considering working with him oh yeah because they need it also kind of shines a light on that they're yeah exactly mm. like they're they hate that they're working with him <laughs> yeah. almost as much as he hates that he's even considering working with them <laughs> But he's doing it for his dad, and they're doing it because they're trying to stave off their like the bank's collapse, I guess. So okay, I'm gonna try to get a little bit deep into the plot here. If he's supposed mm-hmm. to be going straight, he's not going straight by setting up a business that employs people that does things. He's giving money to a bank to legitimize the operation. Is that mm-hmm. what that is? I, I forgive me for not knowing the U.S. economy at the time, but. Why the bank? Why was that the thing he went to do? Probably. I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly myself, but I can imagine trying to set up. It's probably because it's the easiest thing that he can do. And also there's a certain bit of respect. Like I think he sees a certain bit of respectability in it, Hmm. um, which also plays into this whole thing where he's trying to work with Poole to improve his elocution and his grammar and his vocabulary um, because he only he wants to sound like a banker. So he's aware the whole time that he doesn't sound like a banker. And he's trying to make everybody else sound like a banker too. Yeah. Which, I like, that's the whole reason for having uh, Tim Curry there, which I think is absolutely hilarious. Mm. But it's a really interesting, like, I think it's just because he gets to, it's the easiest way for him to become respectable in the eyes of his dad for what, whatever reason. Right, I think. And also maybe because the economy is crumbling, so you can't get something actually productive going so easily. Hmm. No, ahead, well, sorry. I think it's the difference between if he sets up a business himself, even if it's perfectly respectable and productive, and he is able to make money in this economy, he's not validated by anybody because 
it would be him doing it. And by becoming a banker, by giving the bank the money, getting the vote on the board that he wanted, that means the bankers are kind of validating his respectability and the fact that he's not a gangster anymore. I think that's why that vote on the board was so important to him and why he wouldn't sign the contract Mm -hmm. with, with that provision in there that he wouldn't have a vote. Because he wanted, um, I mean, to use the word that you used, Matthew, he wanted them to legitimize him. Right. It's not just the enterprise. It's his past transgressions and work. Yeah. Okay. He sees it like as that. a way of going going to the light side, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> I mean, it's okay that he fails in the end. Yeah, because they do set it very much up as the, the, the bankers are actually as bad as anything else, so... Why not provide liquor that makes people happy? <laughs> yeah. <basically. laughs> no, it's it's for yacht christenings. <laughs> so you mentioned what is one of the big cameos in this. It might well have been the thing that left me on watching this film. Do I mean cameo? Supporting roles. Tim Curry uh, coming in as Dr. <laughs> Paul. Uh, Mandy, can I just ask your reaction when Tim Curry showed up on screen? <laughs> um, I think my jaw might have dropped a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I was expecting him to to come in because I had seen his name. Um, but this is a role completely unlike any other role I've ever seen Tim Curry play. Um, I mean, I guess it is closest to the butler in Clue, but like dialed up to like 25. Mm. And um, just the the vocal inflection and his facial expressions <laughs> and just the way that he carried himself, it, it was utterly ridiculous but i loved watching it yeah i'm just trying to look up because i was going to make a comment about what he did before this i think it was it and i was just just if that was 1990 because this was 1991 so that actually wouldn't surprise me because one of the things i noticed in this movie and it may be because we just watched it um it. Watch it. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is, is when we we talked about it, I, I had said that I didn't see Tim Curry in Pennywise's face, but in this movie, watching Tim Curry, I saw Pennywise in Tim Curry's face with the way that he smiled. <laughs> like that smile was creepy and unsettling and gigantic. Hiya, Georgie. <laughs> um, yes, he did it, and then. He probably went straight into filming in this because he does not look his best for part of the filming. He looks a very tired chap. So I can imagine uh, we we said on the episode that he didn't like doing the makeup. Perhaps it took more of a toll and that's why he's never returned to it. <laughs> Maybe. I just assumed that was part of the character because the character was meant to be this like run down, lonely, grown man who still lives with his mama. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I just accepted it as part yeah. of the character. <laughs> and then he's like dropped into this house with the, I don't know, where they keep trying to give him underwear. <laughs> here's money. And here's money. Here's a fresh $20 bill. <laughs> as much as he seems to be like, on the one hand, he's dropped into this house and he seems to be noticing how crazy everyone around him is acting and he has no idea what's going on. Like It's like they're just two two ships passing in the night and none of them know what to do with the, the other. Like He doesn't know what to do with them and they don't know what to do with him. Mm. Because that moment when he 
when they're all arguing downstairs with the priest and then he they they say his name and he like pops his head over the, the balcony or whatever that is and says hello get back in the room <laughs> and, <Hello. he's> <laughs> and they're like go away oh it's so good because he's got such a big grin yes and it's strange because it sounds like Frankenfurter, but obviously doesn't look like Frankenfurter. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, and he brings so much energy to that moment. Mm. And then the, the other times he's just kind of like, oh God, I can't wait to get out of this house. Like, um, <laughs> Until he meets Lisa. Until he meets Lisa. And then he's like, no, you need to get out of this house too. <laughs> just his, his like, please come with me. Let me. His physical reactions to the way that she said his name creep me out. Lisa, at the risk of being forward. Yes, Thornton? Your diction is surprisingly good, considering your genealogy. That's the sweetest thing anybody's ever said to me. Thornton. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yep. And that when she's when she calls him baby and he's like oh, baby. <laughs> baby. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, how long have you been working on your Tim Curry impersonation? <laughs> <laughs> Since I first saw this film. That's <laughs> what kicked it off for you. Basically, yeah. I'm not sure if I'd already seen it and Rocky Horror by this point, but this is one of the films that I think of Tim Curry from. Okay. So this might be the first time I saw him in something. I'm pretty sure this is the first time I saw him in anything. Maybe I saw Clue before mm. it, but I don't think he... It, Clue wasn't one that we watched six times a year, so... Um, <laughs> I, I I can remember seeing him in Congo, but that's a, a slightly different role for him as more of a villain. Mm-hmm. So perhaps later. Um, you you mentioned people trying to give him money there. We we've not really mentioned the bags, <laughs> the muddle in the bags, and and so for anyone listening who's who's not seen this, uh, probably about half the film is made up of three bags being interchanged. One of which has fifty thousand in dollars dollar bills in it. Um, one of which has 50,000 in jewels in it, and one of which has dirty underwear in it. Uh, <laughs> ladies' dirty underwear. They might be clean. You don't know. <laughs> it has it has lingerie in it, okay? <laughs> she, hasn't bothered, she hasn't bothered folding anything, so... <laughs> which, as Mandy said at the beginning, always the same, so you don't know which is which, and they're all in the same style of bags. So there is a whole muddle over which bag is where. For something that makes up such a big part of the film, I, I always feel it's... It comes to nothing. It means nothing in the end because that's not what everyone's happy about getting the bags or getting off with the right things. It's almost forgotten and they move on from it. I feel like the film would be better without it, but also it would be less farcical. Well, yeah, I think you you need something to have that utter absurdity. Mm. I don't know what it could be besides because I I saw I saw that question from you in the notes and I was thinking about it, but I honestly don't know what it would be because. I mean, it could be anything. It almost doesn't matter. I mean, I like the bags because I like I like hmm. the story that we got because of the bags, honestly. I mean, we wouldn't have had the whole Lisa Teresa thing with Anthony bringing in all this money. and 
How did you save 50 grand or 400 a month? I stole it from you. <laughs> that was pretty great. And, and so I really liked it. But I was disappointed uh, when we got to the end, and it turned out the end game of the movie was the wedding, not the money. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, I have no idea what happened to any of the money. I mean, I know one of the bags, I think, did end up um, with Nora and Bruce Underwood. But the other two, I have no idea. So I watched it again this morning, or this afternoon. And I think I figured out that uh, the Underwoods walked out of this $100,000 richer. Oh, really? So they had both I of think them. Both, <laughs> I, yes, I think both bags ended up at the Underwoods. And now I now that I've said that, I can't think, I can't track why. Oh, no, I think sure you're right, though, because the chauffeur uh, shows up yeah. and they switch the bag. So he gets one of them then. And Nora doesn't know that. And Nora comes back and switches the other yes. two bags. And she just kind of sneaks in and nobody, I don't think anybody sees her. Right. Yeah, she sees like, it on the, the, kind of the counter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's important, though, is that the underwear is there to dump for the, uh, for Toomey to dump out on the table. Yes. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. Like that's <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah, and I almost if that's the end point because because yeah, I don't think I'd ever tracked it to see exactly what happens to them. I would have liked the line of, "Well, the millionaire's a hundred thousand richer, but we've got a family, so hooray!" Yeah, and the and the press <laughs> can uh, can tell to me what uh, it's all come out in the wash. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's all about the puns, right? I think, though, that for Snaps, it doesn't matter because we end with him going back to his life of crime. And in that life, $100,000 was nothing to him. So he didn't care that yeah. it was missing. He's going to go back to selling all the beer that he needs to sell yeah. and uh, it's going to be fine. I mean, because at the end of the day, it was $100,000 he didn't even know he had exactly. <laughs> since Anthony had stolen it from him. And, and so I think from that perspective, that's that's probably why they thought it wasn't important to show where the money ended up. But it was from the yeah. perspective of, of the audience, we were so invested in these bags and, and who got the money and, mm. and where the bags went that it would have been nice to see a payoff on that. But I think in the end, it also only matters as long as the characters are trying to, as long as they're um, invested in, in getting that money. But it wasn't. Snaps didn't want the money for the money's sake. He wanted it because he didn't want to be um, screwed over by his accountant who's going to marry his daughter, who's not his daughter. Who was his daughter. Who was his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa? No, dear, not Lisa. The other one. What other one? You know, the other one. The other one that's not Lisa. Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and so I think like as soon as and that's I think what like what um, Matthew was saying as soon as um, he doesn't care about the money anymore neither neither do we in a way unless we've watched it five times in the last six months. <laughs> yeah, how many times have you watched it in the build up to this? Actually, only three. So I, I watched it. I think um, oh, that's fine. Only three. <laughs> only three. <laughs> um, you sacrifice Stranger Things too for uh, Oscar. Yeah, well, um, that's coming. We, both the thirty first and the first are holidays here this year, so. Um, oh, nice! So I think that I'll be watching Stranger Things over. The the other thing that we've not mentioned, which people might be listening, going, so why is it called Oscar? Because <laughs> there is a character <laughs> called Oscar, who 
you would expect to be really important. But I think we've gone as long on this podcast without mentioning Oscar as they go in this film without mentioning Oscar. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, almost, because they mentioned Oscar's name for the first time at the 39-minute mark. Yeah. Yeah. It's so strange. It, It makes me wonder if the original has he's more to do in the play that he's not run off to war or something i don't but... think so because i i went and looked this up on um like the wikipedia um synopses of that movie and mm. and also the i tried to look in the play too but um i didn't see it in the play version um but it basically he sounds as unimportant in that version as in this version except in that version he doesn't join the army he joins a polar expedition <laughs> so that he'll be gone for uh, of for six years six years is the same okay um, i think oscar is just like the bags you know he he is driving plot without actually being there because if it weren't for oscar we wouldn't have had the whole lisa pregnancy story that led to more money and then Dr. Poole and eventually a wedding. And and so I think that's, they were trying to be clever maybe with naming it Oscar. Mm -hmm. I feel like this might be, um, Matthew was saying before how this all feels very um, kind of old school European comedy style. And I think the name might even play into that a little bit. Like I, I haven't really dug into it. Um, more enough to kind of um, give that argument some foundation, but I'm pretty sure this idea that you you name, I feel like it's got some foundation in um, in things that have come before, and kind of this European like mid century comedy and farce. Mm. I'd have to look into it more to actually. I tried to look up some stuff about this movie, and it's very difficult to look up a movie called Oscar because all you get are results about the Academy it's the Awards. Problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, okay, what other words can I put in here? Because even Oscar Sylvester Stallone, the movie is mm-hmm. not the first mm-hmm. thing you get. You still get Academy Award results. I think you have to do. You have to do Oscar Sylvester Stallone movie 1991, and then you start to uh, to get there, but. Yeah, it was it was frustrating. Not probably not quite as frustrating as it, but it it was difficult. <laughs> it is frustrating. Oscar is frustrating. <laughs> yes. That's what I meant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure which oops, sorry. I wasn't sure which episode we were uh, talking about. We were talking it, about it, it being Oscar and it. Yeah. It. It's... We're talking about it. <laughs> I really hope that everybody who's listening to this did listen to the it episode. <laughs> Otherwise, this is not going to be funny. Go and listen to it. <laughs> what? <laughs> because it's mostly an hour of me making that joke. <laughs> it really kind of was. Okay, can we talk about something that's not funny? Yes. <laughs> Please. That's all I ever laughing. want to talk about. <laughs> So in in the scene where uh, Snaps is confronting Lisa, uh, because at this point he thinks that Anthony wants to marry Lisa, and she is going on and on about how she just needs to get out of this house and how she's not a little girl and she can take care of herself, she flashes her father. 
And you brought nothing but shame to this family. Indecente! Daddy, you have to realize I'm not a little girl anymore. Look! Put that away! I'm your father! <laughs> yes. She flings yeah. open her robe and says, Look! <laughs> what? What? I, I don't know what to do with that. Why? Was that in this movie? Europeans, very open about their bodies. Not so concerned, maybe. Maybe that's the joke from the original. I have no idea. But yes, that uh, yeah, no. that, that moment <laughs> is very disturbing. It just felt super out of place. She's not wearing much when he goes in in the first place. Yeah. She tries to like hide all this stuff. Like She's smoking and she's reading Lady Shadowly's mm. Lover and she's listening to something that her father obviously doesn't approve of. Um, and, so, and she hides all that away. And then her way to prove that she's an adult is to open her robe. Um, they're both, which is interesting. They're both wearing robes. Like no, no one is wearing like actual clothing here. Um, mm. Yes, it is. It is a very, very strange moment. It's um, she's using her body as a weapon against her own father because she has no power in the situation <laughs> and just wants to get out of her gilded cage. Yeah, it, yeah. It's not as inappropriate as it could have been. But it is still very, very strange. And particularly because they don't lean on anything else like that in the rest of it. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing else about uh, sexy sexiness or... Like, Clue had a number of jokes about men and women together. Mm-hmm. This film doesn't go there, by and large. Except in this one Except scene. Except for that one. And, and maybe the reference with him saying... Rounded. You, you know, all, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all, you know, 1930s gentlemen. We're lovers. <laughs> <laughs> That kind of gross word where you're like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how you tell people. You're, that's how you tell the, your boss, who's also the father of your want, would-be fiancé, that you're sleeping with her. And why would you say, like, mm. why? Yeah, I couldn't really figure out Anthony's motivation um, for a lot of the things that he said, just because he was so bold. Like, mm-hmm. I love your daughter. You know, well, to... to the way it all unfolded, like by the time we got to the point where um, Snaps had given him the raise, I immediately knew. Like I just had a feeling. I was like, "Oh my gosh, he's talking about his daughter." <laughs> and then he immediately turned around and said, "Okay, great. Can I have your daughter's hand in marriage?" Mr. Provolone, it is my honor to ask for your daughter's hand in matrimony. Pardon me. Yes. Your daughter is the one I love. My daughter? How do you know my daughter? Automatic Club 33. In a speakeasy? I was like, dude, this guy has got some, like, moxie to do that. And then throughout the rest of the movie, he just keeps going. You know, well, where did you get this money? Well, I stole it from you. Where did you get this second money? I stole it from you. And he's... He was a fun character, but he didn't make a lot of sense. Kid's got a lot of moxie. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I, I liked his scheme for, oh, I, I put down a nickel, but it should have been a dime. So I then had this extra bit of cash that I built up and built up and built up. That presumably would have taken quite a while to get there that he didn't come forward with it and has accumulated some wealth from. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost the uh, the the story of Superman three in Office Space. 
<laughs> That's how they make money in those two as well. Okay. Yeah, it is Office Space. Yeah. Yeah, because I think Office Space, they even point out that it's from Superman 3 at that point. Okay. <laughs> um, there's not a huge amount to talk about on the, in this film when we talk about, uh, you know, the depth of something or the production or the themes and character development. This is just a charming and great film that I want to gush about. Yeah. <laughs> because it's just fun. Um, so I'm going to open the floor to Carrie mm-hmm. to open the dam. Okay. <laughs> and gush about all the things you like. Okay. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I have, I have quite a few. I mean, where to start? Tim Curry, obviously. And Marissa Tomei, even though she kind of weirds you... She, she weirded Mandy out. She weirded me out a little bit too, but I still love watching her in this. Mm. I mean, I think I love watching her in anything, um, but there's there's just moments between, okay, when she's not disrobing for her father, when she's kind of fighting with him and like giving it back to him. And there's mm. just this like, these looks between them. And and also when she starts, at some point she starts snapping as well. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yes. she she is his daughter. And I just, I don't know, I kind of, I, I like that chemistry. Um, so that's, mm. and then um, Ornella Moody, I have never seen her in anything else. But every time this woman is on the screen, it's like you can't take your eyes off of her. She's just luminous. I have no idea what you're talking about. But if you love me, if you ever loved me, you'll find my little girl a husband. I don't know, her intonation and the way she speaks and her facial reactions and everything. It's just, I just love her. Yeah. I, I haven't seen her in anything else, but I always feel like I have done. I suspect it's because she's a bit like a uh, Monica Bellucci or Isabella Rossellini, mm-hmm. someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I was sure that I had seen her in other things. She looked so familiar to me, but then I looked her up and I had never heard of her or seen her in anything mm. else. Yeah. But she just has one of those faces that is so striking that you feel like you had to have seen it. And when you realize you haven't, you wonder why. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, so she's definitely um, one of my, I I could watch this movie just to, you know, skip from her, like uh, go from one of her scenes to the next scene, to the next scene, to the next scene. Um, I think Mm -hmm. she's, she's fantastic. And her, her entrance is just so good because you know when she's there and she cries out for mm-hmm. him and he you know he goes to alert right game face on it's on now where he's been completely in control this is his equal entering yes. the arena Ouch! Angelo uh, sure You're the first person I've wanted to see today. Belle. <laughs> Love it. And everybody knows. And the music, the music was always kind of like supporting her and going along with her. Like her lines kind of uh, line up with the beats and the music in this way. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. My baby. Yeah, she's... Uh, the queen of the house and uh, mm. everybody knows it. 
I think my favorite thing about her, though, is that this movie takes place over the span of about four hours. Mm-hmm. And every time she's on screen, she's dressed in a different, <laughs> more elaborate dress. Yes. And it's fantastic. Yes. When she when she says she's going to go dress for lunch and she comes, I can't even remember which fantastic outfit she's wearing. But you're like, if, if that's what she wears for lunch, I want to see what she wears for dinner. Right? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the glamorous uh, red gown that she ends up yeah. in. It's amazing. For Tim Curry and Marissa Tomei, I love um, their first scene together where they're having tea. Mm -hmm. And there's no words for most of the thing. It's just these long looks at each other. It's it's already been set up a little bit by little Anthony saying, oh, a man who deals with language and he can't find the words. But then they actually play into that whole idea. (laughs) They're so... um... They're so wonderfully awkward, but it's not necessarily romantically awkward. It's because neither of them knows exactly what they're doing there, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, seventh, it's seventh grade crush awkward when all of your friends have told you that the boy likes you. And the, all of the boy's friends have told you that the girl likes you. And so you're sitting there going, mm-hmm. do I like you? <laughs> I don't know if I like don't you. Don't say anything to break the spell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Mandy already mentioned Mark Metcalf. Um but he's not the only face we recognize in the bankers because uh, William Atherton is there too, who played Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. Yes, so of course he does. And he's have... also our villain from uh, Die Hard. No, he's not the villain in Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> he's the reporter schmuck in Die Hard. <laughs> I was like, no, wait a minute. Alan Rickman was yeah. the villain in Die Hard. <laughs> but yeah, he, he always plays this uh, certainly antagonist role. Yeah. Just like, but just weaselly and in it for himself. Oh, weaselly yeah. is the perfect word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always flash on um, Bill Murray saying, Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see his face, nice. poor man. Anyway. Um, I mean, Dr. Poole, we've talked about enough, probably. He does steal the film somewhat. It is easy to do. This thing with the bags, we talked about this a little bit. I love a good setup and payoff. And this film just has, Mm. I don't know, it's it's the bags. Like, that's, I guess, the main main bit of this. Um, But there's also this thing that Snaps does to Anthony, where he tells him that the Finucci brothers are um, his hitmen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Anthony totally believes him. And who were they? Recognize the Fenucci? Sicilians, the most vicious contract killers in the country. <laughs> so, it's a, but it's set up like so, like kind of perfectly throughout the um, up to that moment where the Fenucci brothers walk in. They're like, "Oh yeah, we're, we've hit the big time now because um, this dead man in this newspaper clipping is wearing our suit." <laughs> <laughs> they show snaps this, <laughs> and it just kind of goes on from there, like beat for beat, like setting this up. So that by the time the Fenucci brothers are playing on the piano with Anthony, and then all of a sudden he realizes what he's doing and that there are two hitmen, people who think are hitmen on either side of him. Mm. And then he kind of like <gasps> backs up, like jumps away from the piano. <laughs> and then they have this conversation about, you treat it like a, it's a normal business <laughs> because they've got another one to do at 11. <laughs> They've got to work weekends. Yeah, they've got yeah. to work weekends, but they don't like to do that because they're family men. <laughs> and, and his eyes are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and then they take out the newspaper clipping. I just, I don't know, like that 
that gets me every single time I just sit there mm. and laugh and laugh and laugh at that. So And and when we get through with you, nobody's gonna <laughs> yes, recognize you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All the the little like movements behind like the character motivations or whatever it's in a way it's all about like kind of this like power and respectability of who has it and who like how can we get it there's so many interactions and particularly it's a chance for this supporting cast to show off some of their best things mm-hmm. so you've got two really good character actors here particularly harry Shearer. yes um just to have lots of exactly the jokes you're pointing out these little moments with them the uh, what's the one earlier where he says oh we make you look like a banker take off your pants <laughs> yes it's really easy and and these days it's an incredibly obvious joke because everyone has a dig at bankers these days but it's just it's simple and it's nice and it's in it works in the moment both as a joke and to keep the plot moving it doesn't stand out as they wrote that just for the game yeah it all just kind of fits in and you don't even realize what's happening and then all of a sudden boom and that's the kind of stuff that i it just tickles me and it tickles me every time even though i know it's coming so that i quite enjoy and then of course there's snaps uh disarming connie throughout the film (laughs) yeah (laughs) until he's disarming him of his uh, turkey leg (laughs) and pointing it at us (laughs) Um, and and the fact that that's so instinctual to take what he thinks is a gun and aim it at anthony it's not the basic shape and he's holding it like a gun And I think this is a different scene, like a, a somewhat later scene, but he comes back in with the, the turkey leg after um, after Snaps has, has taken it and pointed it at Anthony and then like given it back to him in disgust. And he comes back in with it. I know it, and Snaps hands him the bag, one of the bags that he's supposed to watch. And so he takes the turkey leg and sticks it in his soup, like in his inside pocket <laughs> on his suit. Back in the yes. holster. <laughs> you're like, just so many little moments. It's so yeah. good. And I think that's why yeah. I can just, I can watch this three times in, in not too long and still, still be in use nice. by it. So anyway. Okay. So I'll stop gushing now. What, what do you think? <laughs> Mandy, well, what were some of the things that uh, you laughed at that you particularly enjoyed from it? I don't think I can narrow them down to my favorite thing. So I'll just, you know, give you a couple of things that were really, really <laughs> good. <of>. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the claymation opera at the beginning, which had nothing to do with the plot at all, was amazing. <laughs> I really liked the little clay dude. He was cute. It was great. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I was confused by it because I didn't understand why we were suddenly watching a little clay dude sing an opera, but it was awesome. We've already talked about Anthony's moxie, which is fantastic. Buttle is totally a thing. <laughs> Go buttle. And I'm so excited about it. You're a butler now. Buttle. This is like the third movie now where we've had that word show up. And I'm really excited about that because it's a real thing. What were the other? Clue? Clue was one. And, um, oh, it was the Indiana Jones movie, uh, Last Crusade. Yes, it was. Yeah, both of those had Buttle in it. And they both delighted (laughs) me to no end. It was fantastic. One thing that I, I didn't mention before when we were talking about Marissa Tomei is that I think that her acting skills in this were actually really incredible. Because, mm. I mean, it's really bad acting, but mm-hmm. I think to act that bad, you have to be a really good actor. Yeah. <laughs> because you're trying to make it that mm-hmm. bad. I mean, because it was bad on purpose. Like, it was obvious. And and so I, I feel like she did a really good job. Yeah. yeah. There's moments where she's screaming and crying and you're looking at her going, shut up. And then, like, right. she leaves the room or, <laughs> or, like, her point is made and she just stops. Yes. And, like, her face... So yes. it's so deadpan. 
So I hate that she was nominated for a Razzie for it because it was all done very intentionally, I think. Like, it wasn't actually bad acting. But that's just me. I feel like maybe the, like, the critic scene or whatever, like, because critics didn't like this movie either. And I just wonder, like, did they not get it or not see what, like, they obviously didn't see what we're seeing somehow or it didn't yeah was it just too much seeing stallone trying to pull off something like they this? weren't comedies never do well with critics yeah so. that's true but it's also interesting this was also about the time when arnold schwarzenegger was doing a similar thing because mm. i think this was this was about in the period when kindergarten cop and twins and the one where he's pregnant were made junior i think if i'm not completely yeah. mistaken and so like maybe they people just saw him saw Stallone doing this and we're like oh he's trying to Schwarzenegger yeah the, the film he had out before this is Kindergarten Cop this year he released Terminator 2 the film after this is Last Action mm-hmm. Hero so yeah, yeah. Okay. and then my last favorite favorite thing and this one's pretty great Matthew I'm surprised you didn't note this down because you are a sucker for a fourth wall break <laughs> and Sylvester Stallone breaks the fourth wall in this and I actually I was watching it and I was like he just broke the fourth wall and I had to rewind it and watch he it did. again and I was like that is awesome and I loved it and you you, you noticed it right it's wonderful because he does it yeah. twice oh he did it twice I don't mm-hmm. think I caught the second he, time he, he, he does it uh, I think you're referring to a when Connie is just the most stupid person <laughs> in, in the world how did 50 grand change your underwear that's what I'm asking you Maybe it was a miracle. You know, like the loaves and the fishes. <laughs> <laughs> he does it at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, the final slap from his father. Oh. He sits back down, he just looks at the camera like, okay, we're in this together. Well, see, I wasn't really invested in the movie yet at that point because I was still mm. like, this is the most melodramatic, awful death scene I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I was still trying. I didn't know what the movie was about yet at that point. So, yeah, I missed that one. Um, that's great. I'm trying to remember. Is it Charlton Heston is his father? No, it's um, Douglas. 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 Yes. Yeah. Look, this film has an amazing mm-hmm. cast. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, we, we've dwelt a little bit on the scene, uh, the introduction of Marissa Tomei, where she's in her, her sleeping things. <laughs> her robe. Sleeping things. Her... Um, Teddy, maybe. Anyway, but the it's probably my favourite scene, but particularly the the length of time she spends hiding Lady Chatterley's lover, the book, then putting out the cigarette, having some coke, then going and turning off the rock and roll, and then doing this dramatic flourish to let her father <laughs> enter. Yes, it just it takes so long, and it's it's ridiculous because he'd be like, "No, you need to come and open the door now." <laughs> But she's just, I need to make sure all of my in, my uh, indiscretion is hidden. But I adore, it's probably my favourite line in the whole thing, Stallone's line of... It's the music you kids listen to today. King Crosby, Kev Calloway. Don't think I haven't heard the lyrics to Minnie the Moochie. <laughs> and it's, it's perfect. As the, you know, because he's probably from the late 1800s he was born. Mm-hmm. So he is looking down on this as a... Oh, kids today. Oh, terrible music. But I, I love that because Minnie the Moocher is a wonderful song. But yes, the lyrics of it are a bit racy. <laughs> she messed around with a bloke named Smokey. She loved him, though he was cokey. He took her down to Chinatown and he showed her how to kick the gong around. 
Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Oscar? I can tell you why I think the the little opera interlude in the, with the credits fits the plot of the movie mm. a little bit. It doesn't actually follow the plot, but I think it tells us a little bit about the the energy of the movie. Okay. Mm. So this this song, which I've known all my life, but that's mostly from Bugs Bunny cartoons, and then at some point this movie. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not a big opera person. I don't know that much about it actually, but. The song, the, it's an aria from The Barber of Seville, which was an opera by Rossini. And it's called Largo, and sorry, any person who knows opera who's listening to this, I'm sorry, Largo al Factotum, which is basically, it's the song that plays as this character, Figaro, comes into town, and he's the factotum. Um, or was the factotum for this, I don't know, duke or count or somebody important. And now he's the barber in the town. But basically, everybody wants him. Everybody needs something from him. And he's singing the song about how he t- does everything and takes care of everything and with great quality. And and then basically, <laughs> I don't know, I'm trying to think. There's this one line, everybody asks for me, everybody wants me. The women, the men, the young, the old, doesn't matter. He's the most important person um and then that's basically what we see come like what happens over the course of this morning to um Mm. snaps and also in a little Mm -hmm. bit of way aldo and so it just kind of sets that up in a (laughs) little yeah it's such an energetic piece and it's used all through the thing for the running up the stairs the running down the stairs Uh, it really it really does start off with with quite a pace to it yeah and i mean it also this um yeah and then like the what what it does with like it kind of uh emphasizes some of these dialogue moments with with Sophia and some of Mm. the others and it's just yeah it's this kind of this energy to it and I think it also maybe places this movie in in this tradition like this uh this commedia dell'arte tradition of craziness but you know what to expect from it a little bit like it's got these Mm. these beats that even if you don't know what's going to happen you know what's going to happen like what you were saying, Mandy, with you know what he's going to talk about, like when Anthony is proposing, you know it's going to be the daughter. And I just, I think it's, it all kind of comes from this, this tradition that we don't, like we know we know it, but we don't, we know it, but we don't know we know it. And uh, and so I just think this this music with the soundtrack kind of just uh, kind of streamlines this all. Yeah, the the mistaken identity yeah. and the people running from room mm-hmm. to room. It is very like that that style of opera and that style yeah. of play. It's yeah. lovely. Oh, it's such a good yeah. film. It just makes you feel like you know it and it knows you. Mm. I I don't have anything to recommend after this. Like like you said, Mandy, it's hard to define this in terms of other films. Um, and this is very much a follow up to some of the other farcical sort of things we've seen so far. This is part of your Tim Curry, uh, your Tim Curry run. <laughs> yeah. This is our temporary trifecta, I think. What about you, Carrie? Do you have any recommendations to add to my list? This movie made me think of a few others, but I thought of it because of this character, Snaps. He's just kind of in over his head and all this stuff is happening around him and you're just kind of following along. Have you ever seen Dave? I don't think so. Oh, that's a good film. I love that film. Yes, yeah, that is one I would recommend. It, it doesn't have anything uh, yeah, to do with Yeah, and actually this in so this much, style. It is yeah. a little bit in the style. And it's also kind of a, maybe a feel-good movie for our times. What we all mm. what we all hope is going to happen, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Anyway, it's it's a movie okay. about mistaken identity and the president of the United States, and it's by Ivan Reitman, and it has Kim, Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver in it, and I just absolutely love that movie. So that'll be my recommendation. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I think that's one that could be added to the list. Mostly because I'd like to see it again. I haven't seen it in years. It's a great film. That one I do have on <laughs> DVD. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So we've had some great uh, listener feedback over the last few weeks to some of our recent releases. Elizabeth Arnold at Ebetharama said, having watched Pretty in Pink, finally listening to our episode, chose Pretty in Pink to dive in and cannot believe that Mandy likes Blaine. What can I say? I like what I like. (laughs) Blaine? That's an appliance. We also heard from Gypsy Book Nerd about the last Doctor Who episode that she adores Eleven's theme as well, which is apt on Stranger Things 2 weekend. I was just thinking, yes. why are you guys talking about Stranger Things? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I need to go find out if the Duffer Brothers gave Eleven a theme. Mm-hmm. And finally, we had Devin at Tesnorker on Twitter, also about Doctor Who. Um, in response to Matthew's wonderful joke in our last Doctor Who episode, a Time Lord. Matthew, this joke makes me want to die a little. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. Ha ha. In a good way, Ovs. <laughs> you keep telling yourself that. <laughs> it was a good joke. My jokes are nothing but the best for this podcast. Okay. <laughs> Get out your best jokes. <laughs> Sorry for the rest of your people in your life. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you'd like to have your thoughts featured in this segment, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can also email us using podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Bose. Carrie, it's been a delight having you. Thank you so much for helping me make Mandy watch Oscar. Um, I'm amazed someone else has seen this <laughs> film and loves it as much. I hope the, I hope the team grows. <laughs> Where can people find oh, yeah. you online? Um, I'm at We Do Words on Twitter, and that's words with a Z or a Z if you prefer. <laughs> I go both ways on that. So, Well, yeah, considering where you live, it's probably a Z. <laughs> Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Anything you can give will give you access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and our other shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to visit our homepage, eloquentgushing.com. We've given it a bit of a refresh and you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which has all the latest news and announcements. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, with Jen from the podcast A Command of Her Own. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm off to Appalachia to study regional colloquialisms among the coal mining community. Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.